Coming up next on the Jeff Creeley Show, you'll meet a man who is determined to become the Starbucks of the liquor industry. I'll explain next. Many are predicting that the worst is yet to come, which is unfortunate, said one person here. Until now, they've enjoyed the reputation of being the nation's icebox. Watched a burglar in his home this morning by webcam. As a journalist of over 25 years, stories are what make my world turn. Reporting live from the Dallas Newsroom tonight, Jeff Crilly, Fox 4 News. But in 2008, I took the jump from my familiar life and started a PR firm from my home. We're talking about anyone with a camcorder like the one I'm using becomes a television network. We started slowly growing the company and we now have over a hundred clients and we've branched into the world of live digital broadcasting. I now own eight different TV studios and have a huge team. And the stories that I now get to share are sometimes the most important of my life. Life has a funny way of coming around full circle. This is the Jeff Crilly Show. Well, I am fascinated by disruptors. I mean, if you think about it, a few years ago, if somebody had told you the taxicab industry would be dying because of something called Uber, everybody would laugh at you. But that's what's happening. Uh, industries are being disrupted every single day. And one of those industries is the liquor industry. And the guy who's doing the disruption is my next guest, Stephen Paul Matsumoto. He's with Juno's Liquor. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share our story. Absolutely. Well, give me more about your background. So you're a marketer. Uh, I, I've got a pretty eclectic background. I am the definition of a Renaissance man. I was in the military for eight years, right out of high school, uh, graduated from a Jesuit university back in the Seattle area, uh, and then found myself in the automotive industry and in 2006 left the automotive industry to become a freelance marketer. Um, I've even been a business banker in my career. So. Uh, I get bored easily and need to learn new skills, evidently. But I, lo I love that about you because sometimes it takes somebody from outside an industry to come in and disrupt it um, because people who are in the industry will say that's the way it's always been done. Yeah. So tell us about Juno's Liquor. Sure, absolutely. So Juno's uh, was a distressed asset that myself and my partners bought uh, in actually one year ago today is when we took over the store. No kidding. Uh, so that I just realized that <laughs> as we were talking. So one year, uh, and it was uh, about a year long process before we actually found Juno's where my partners and I were, two of us have a finance background, one of us has a construction background and two of us are our former Marines. So we're a veteran owned entity. Nice. And we were looking for something that would be a cash flowing recession proof asset. Uh, so initially we started looking at coin operated laundromats, vending machine routes, some of these things that we could do semi passively and still run our day jobs. Um, after a bunch of failed deals not going through, it's like I saw a Facebook post from a friend of mine uh, who had another friend that was a business broker on a distressed liquor store. And I reached out to them on, on the Monday after I saw the post. And by Friday, we had a deal negotiated and we closed on it a week after that. Wow. We're going to pull up your website and as we scroll down the website, I want, I want to brag about you because you, you clearly are a marketer. I mean, the images are crisp and, and, and it just has a rich feel to it. Talk about uh, how do you become the Starbucks of liquor? Well, it's like, fortunately, it's like having grown up in the Seattle area. It's like I graduated high school the same year Starbucks went public. So I saw them evolve from kind of these 
small strip mall locations to these massive standalone buildings and watched how they experimented with different things to grow. Um, the original Starbucks drive-thrus were just old Burger Kings that had gone out of business that they'd renovated. No kidding. Um, and, you know, having family that worked for Starbucks, it's like, one, I got all the coffee I wanted because they give away coffee so much to their associates. Um, and two, I we learned about Howard Schultz in all of our business classes in college and how he disrupted that space and brought something that was a very Italian coffee culture to the U.S., where for the at the time paying 50 cents for a cup of coffee was the norm and now he's trying to charge five dollars for it and how did he do that and a lot of that came around uh, a concept that uh, starbucks calls the third place uh the first place being your home the second place being your work and then they envisioned starbucks being that third place a community space where you could go enjoy your coffee read your paper communal spaces rather than these quick serve cafes that they had originally started yes. out as because the original Starbucks locations were tiny. You you might have three three right. tables in them and now they're these massive restaurant like environments. So well um we're gonna pull up some video and pictures of you um in the very early <laughs> days of renovating uh this. This is day two. Um, okay, and and one of the things that I want to call attention to is this is not a massive big box store. This is a small location. Uh, why do you prefer small locations to the big boys? Uh, one, they're easier to manage um, and require less human capital. So a store of this size, we can manage with two people. Yeah. Right now, um, we have one full-time employee and then I cover for him. Uh, but also it creates that more boutique experience. So we really don't want to be the specs or the total wines of the world where there are these massive stores that are just all about selection and volume and pricing. Right. Uh, we aren't always going to be the cheapest solution, but we are catering to the neighborhoods where we decide to put our stores. So we called uh, our first location store one. Uh, we got the ribbon cutting going right there with the Arlington Chamber of Commerce. So we make sure that we join a local chamber wherever our stores are at sure. uh, to be sure that we're engaged with uh, the community. Um, and also it serves as a business development tool for us because a small store like us, in order to get the best pricing from our distributors, it requires us to move volume. And the only way we can move volume in a store that size is by serving uh, the restaurants and bars around us as a local distributor. Sure. Uh, so we made sure that we got that permit so that we can sell to bars and restaurants. Um, and we just added four new uh, restaurant clients this week. Congratulations. And so um, we did it for about uh, three to six months to figure out the processes. Um, all three of us on the on the ownership team are very process oriented. So we want to make sure that we're not jumping in too deep without being able to support our promises. I last thing I want to do is overpromise and underdeliver. Sure. Well now do you have the the buying power of a specs? I mean so so like you we you, don't. You're 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 paying do you have to pay more? I specs can sell some items for less than I am paying for it. Really? Yes. Okay, so there would be there would be naysayers that say, "Are you crazy, Stephen? Why did you get into this industry?" Yeah, and you know, it's like like you said, it's, we got into the industry initially just because we wanted a recession-proof asset. It's like liquor sales, tobacco sales, those types of 
Yeah. I call them sin sales. Sin sales go up in recessions right. because people are stressed and this is a stress relief form. But they also go up in good times because now people are celebrating the good times that they're having. So, and is there a strategy to do you want to locate near uh, another liquor store or do you want to locate far away from another liquor store? Um, there's where we're located right now, there are liquor stores about a mile and a half from us in either direction. Uh, and we have our customers come in, and it's like our differentiation is service, yes. and we don't differentiate too made on price, but we we do have a pricing strategy and where we can meet the margins that we require for our growth goals uh we will beat the box stores so if someone walked into our store much like you walk into a costco and you see a different number on the price right we have that same strategy where any price that ends in a seven is something that we are beating total wine or specs on price on but we're still able to make the margins we need to cover our overhead and achieve our goals there are some other things though where we are going to be more than specs and total wide. Um, and that's just a volume thing. So like champagne is not a fast mover in my little neighborhood store. So we're not gonna offer the same price on Abu Clicquot right. that Total Wine and Costco and all of these other folks are because I buy two cases a year of it. They buy two truckloads a month of it. <laughs> well, I applaud you. And one of the things I'm really um, enamored with is the, your ability as a uh, marketer. We're going to pull up your Instagram page. You probably have more going on on social media than just about any liquor store I've seen. And these pictures just kind of reflect some of the cool, well, you have tastings. Uh, talk about the vibe. Talk about what you're trying to achieve for your customers. So like, if, as you see in the background in some of these and saw in the remodel, it's like our goal is to create a distillery style environment. You know, just like Starbucks focuses on having all of those warm earth tones because that kind of helps people to relax and drop their guard. That's what we've opted for. We want you to feel comfortable in it. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been in like a neighborhood liquor store when you just needed something at the last minute and you walk in and it, it's run down. Yeah. There's boxes everywhere. They're just not cleaning. You don't really feel, I'm like, I want to get what I want and get out of here as fast as possible. Yes. And we want people to feel warm. It's like we get people that haven't been to the store since we bought it, walk in and they're like, oh my gosh. It's like, wow. I love that. Well, think about what Bucky's achieved just with clean bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's amazing. It's like something as little as that. And it's like, so just painting the walls something other than that strip mall beige right and putting in the the vinyl yeah. laminate floor wood flooring as opposed to the white bathroom tile sure. changes the entire perception okay let's talk about marketing to a neighborhood because it's it's much different i mean you can't uh, wouldn't make any sense for you to buy television ads that's going to be ineffective at this point yeah it's like when we maybe when we have 15 20 stores yeah which you know maybe 5 to 10 years from now we will but so when it's hyper local marketing, what's the strategy? How do you how do you reach your customers? So and that's kind of evolved. We when we did the grand opening, we did a four month direct mail campaign. So one month prior to the grand opening, and then three months following it. Um, and it was a low enough cost per thousand to where it made sure. sense to to try it. Sure. Um, but direct mail is hard to track because in the liquor industry, we cannot use coupons for alcohol. Got it. I can offer coupons on non-alcoholic stuff, but that's not why people are coming to the store. Right, right. Uh, 
And so we've tried, you know, next door ads with a modest amount of success in terms of impressions, but we couldn't verify an ROI on that. Uh, we have a great success story with Facebook ads because um, in the liquor industry, there's what's called allocated inventory. These are those super hard to get items like Blanton's Bourbon, Buffalo Trace, uh, Eagle Rare. And so those are only given to the liquor store based off of the volume they purchased through that supplier. And what we've done is we've turned that into a monthly event for the store where we have an allocation day. It is the last Saturday of every month at 1 p.m. And then we market that through Instagram reels and Facebook ads to let people know, hey, here's what we got this month. Because if you've already got it in your collection, there's no need in you coming down. But if you don't, here's yes. what we've got. We, we did a one-week Facebook campaign leading up to this month's allocation day, which was last Saturday. And we had our largest turnout of the year. We had 45 people show up at it for a chance to get one of seven bottles. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. You're, you're, I think I could learn a lot from you. <laughs> okay. and, and the other thing is like, so these bourbons are like, because they're so hard to get, a lot of other stores make it hard to buy them. Yes. The only thing we do is we do a raffle-based system. You show up on that Saturday, 15 minutes before we start drawing tickets and you get one free ticket. We don't have it tied to a loyalty program, so you don't have to spend $1,000 with us before you get a ticket. You can't buy a ticket, and you have to be present to win. And so it makes it fair for everyone to get these hard things. And then I don't charge what uh, uh, my girlfriend calls museum pricing on it. So <laughs> some folk, like I had a bottle that when I researched it, I could have sold for $600. That was the price it was listed for online. Wow. It didn't cost me enough to where it was worth for worth yeah. it to me to charge that. Yes. I so I think I sold that bottle for maybe sixty or seventy dollars, okay. and I was still able to get the margin that we require for our growth product. It's like I don't want to make money off of my customers once. I want a relationship. Yes. Um, that's why we've also rolled out a loyalty program, and we've got our own Starbucks card now. No kidding. Yeah, that's really cool. And so we're still <laughs> developing the app, but we have the card or. So it's like, and so it's things like that. It's like going back to something we said pre-interview, I'm not an innovator, I'm a pirate. I look at what other people are doing that was successful and I duplicate it in a different industry. Mm. I'm, I'm so impressed with you, Stephen. Uh, before we go, I wanna talk about expansion plans. Yes. So uh, how aggressive is too aggressive? What do you feel comfortable with in terms um, of? Originally, we started out with the goal of getting one new store a year. Um, because like you said, we didn't want to overpromise and under deliver and we wanted to make sure processes were dialed in. Uh, the problem is, is as we've talked to folks about potentially investing in the concept, that isn't attractive to them. So the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. Yes. <laughs> so we've, uh, we've revamped that goal to achieve uh, a growth of having five stores by the end of 2024. Uh, we are out actively trying to raise capital. Um, and I know how many times Howard Schultz got told no, so I know it's going to be a long road. Sure. Um, so if there is a, uh, a liquor store owner who is thinking about getting out of the business or their kids don't want it, uh, yeah. contact you? Yeah, it's like we've actually got a page on our website that talks about this. It's if you're a liquor owner that is struggling and just burnt out, we'd love to hear from you and figure out how we can work a transition. 
Um, if you're a mom and pop store and an owner operator and you want to retire, we want to talk to you. Um, ideally, we want to get involved before they've talked to a business broker because then we can come up with more flexible structures that are sure. a win-win for everybody. Because once a broker's involved, it's like, God love them. They do a great job. I, we used a broker for our last purchase and he's really helped yes. cover our butts in some areas. But sometimes the valuations get a little silly. And and there's a store that we're looking at right now that they want um, they want more than the numbers say the store is worth, unfortunately. Understood. So we got to figure that out. All right, Stephen, how do people find you? We're going to give the website in a second, but where are you located? Uh, the store is located in Arlington, Texas on South Cooper, a half mile from the Mansfield line, um, which works out really well because Mansfield is still dry. So there are no liquor stores oh, in Mansfield. Smart. So we target a lot to that zip code right on the other side of the line. Uh, to draw draw folks in because they got to drive past us to get to specs. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I applaud you. The, uh, good job on the uh, the risk taking, but it's an educated risk, and yeah. uh, so I, I appreciate that. We're going to end with the website, which is junosliquor.com. The great Stephen Paul Matsumoto. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate it. That's it for now. We'll see you next time.